Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's cast, the high S manager simple downfall. All managers have foibles, and if you're high S in the disc model, well, today we're talking about you. Here we go. Well, Mark, like I said at the intro, all bosses have weaknesses. Then we spent some time talking about it, right? You know, in our first right. in this series, we said there that so many high bo- C bosses, like myself, <laughs> make is being so perfectionist that no idea is ever good enough. When someone else suggests something, they immediately, you know, in the, in the words of Marshall Goldsmith, try to add too much value, right? By pointing out that something isn't as perfect as it could be and other ideas and, and how we can make it better. We also talked about high eyes as well. They tend to start a lot of stuff, but not finish so well. And today, high S's, as much as we love high S's, they've got their own little foibles too, don't they? Yeah. You high S's, we see you overprotecting your team. We see you delaying decisions that you have to make and trying to slow down change. We know you struggle with asking too much of your team and identifying with them so much that you hesitate to ask them for stuff when it's time to ask them, particularly to work really hard. We know you're less comfortable with the rapid change some of your peers might want, and so you delay those decisions and actions, taking sort of a wait-and-see approach. Now, look, we understand you. We respect you. We're glad you're sensitive. Unfortunately, the level of sensitivity you're using in your job is holding you and your team back. And so we have three recommendations today. Number one, stop overprotecting. Be willing to delegate. Too many high-S managers don't delegate enough because they don't want to burden their team and they end up doing work they shouldn't be doing. Number two, stop overprotecting. Don't accept reverse delegation. Don't allow your team to give you stuff back. Uh, And by the way, we're going to share a little manager tools inside joke. We're going to share with you your favorite letter in the alphabet. And last, uh, number three, stop waiting. Remember the one-third, two-thirds rule when it comes to planning things in organizations. Excellent. Now, before we go on, um, a lot of our listeners, particularly those who've been listening to us for a long time, understand this fairly well by this point. But uh, we get new listeners every week. So could you take a, without going through the DISC model, maybe we could talk about the type of manager we're talking about, the high S manager. Describe that a little bit for us. Yeah, Um A high S or high steadiness manager is someone who's reserved and very people focused. Um, He tends to be relaxed. He's warm. He's personable, but he's quiet and reserved about it. He's not super outgoing like the high I, but nevertheless, everybody likes him. Uh, They feel like they can talk to him. They feel like they can open up to him. He knows his team exceptionally well, better than any other type of manager, if you will. He probably doesn't talk as much as other managers about top performance, but he would say something about getting the most out of his team and ensuring the right culture and the right workplace. He is the perfect team player. And if you want to know more, we offer the 28-question, 30-minute profile on our website, and you can get it in a bunch of other places too. You don't have to come to us. Just Google the word DISC or come to Manager Tools. Right. And and be sure here, we're not picking on high S's. If this is the first podcast you've ever listened to from us, rest assured that we're not picking (laughs) on high S's, right? Because we started talking about, I mean, the first one was a high C, right? which is me. And I absolutely agree with the recommendations in that cast. 
and your high eye. And we talked about the high eye last time. And yeah, yeah there's some there's some tendencies that tend yeah. to damage teams. And you, you agree with those as well, right? Oh, absolutely. It was me to a T. Yeah. So we started with high C's and high I's, partly to be the first in the breach to kind of set an example, uh, right. being leaders, as it were. So we're not picking our high S's. Matter of fact, we picked on ourselves first. We're going to do high S's, and then we'll follow up with high D's, which I'm sure everybody just can't wait to get to. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, the problem with high D bosses is everybody thinks their boss is a high D because bosses get to be more dominant in their roles. Yeah, that but, but we don't. Yeah, we we don't mean to pick on anybody. We mean to help people see perhaps a weakness they're not aware of, because all too often our strengths, when overused, become weaknesses. And so, you know, we're, we're talking about that with each one of them, because some some high S managers may not realize they're under delegating. Some high I managers may not realize they start a lot of stuff but don't finish it, and they're messy, right? So, it's good to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of high S's. You know, they want to protect their team and that what they may not realize is that they're overprotecting their team and they're not delegating. And so our recommendation, number one, is stop overprotecting your folks and be willing to delegate. Yeah, in our experience, too many high S managers think that the way to be a good manager is actually to be liked by your team. And one of the ways you do that is you, quote, share the load with your team, right? These highest managers, uh, they have a natural desire to befriend their team to become a part of the team, to almost be one of them. And look, there's nothing inherently wrong with that any more than a high D's drive to overachieve and push her folks isn't inherently wrong. It's the over-reliance on your natural tendency to make friends that is the problem. Over-identifying with your team causes you to lose sight of your responsibilities, which are by definition different than your team's responsibilities. And, and, you know, it, it, it may be hard to hear this, but look, high S's, you are the boss. Um, you're not part of your team of directs, and you never will be part of your team of directs. And so it will always be a frustrating exercise trying to become one of them. You know, we, we regret to, to inform you, but, but your belief that you have a team really, even the concept of a team, is a bit misleading. I mean, think about teams you were on in your formative years. Were any of your teammates capable of firing you? No, I we doubt it. it right? <laughs> yeah, yeah the, co- the coach could, but he or she wasn't part of the team. Now, teams are generally made up of equals, and there are very few real teams for this reason in professional organizations. Now, look, we, we, some of you know this, and you say, oh, I know, but there are too many other managers out there making a big deal about their power and their role, and that's just not me. And by the way, you're totally right to say that. There are too many managers out there, far, far, far too many managers who make a big deal out of their role and their power. And it's ineffective and it's inefficient. And Manager Tools stands clearly on our five-year history that being a manager is not about role power. It's about influence. But you high S's say, I know I have the role power, but I want to avoid using it. Okay? You know, I'd rather create a team feel, right? Even if we really can't be a team. I want to be approachable. I want to help out with their workloads. I want to be sensitive to their needs, and I don't want to overburden them. And and again, we respect that. We appreciate it. But what that causes is you being less of a manager and more of a contributor at the level of your team. 
And and there are just too many reasons against that. Managerial economics, for one, and if you haven't heard that cast, what managerial economics says is that if you and one of your team members can do the job, it's wrong for you to do the job as opposed to the team member because you get paid more. If you farm out some work to to you know an outside consultant or or some external labor or you outsource something. And an outs- two outsourcers can do it equally well, to the same level of quality, and one can do it cheaper, it's wrong to hire the more expensive one, right? Uh, but, but look, in addition to that, you, you diminish your role power, um, which we don't want you to use too much, but, but you have to be careful. You still have it and you want to be aware of it. It takes away from your managerial focus and in terms of the things you only you can do. Because remember, there are some things as a manager only you can do. Right? right, they don't let one of your teammates write reviews on everybody else. Right, there's opportunity cost. Right, and that's exactly yeah. If you if you're doing work that your team can do because you're not delegating because you love your team, you're not doing something that only a manager can do. And in fact, the work that managers do can actually make the work that the team does better. That's the whole value of a vertical structure. Right, if you're doing your manager work really really well, if you're a working manager rather than a working manager, you make it easy. You actually take more care of your team being an effective manager rather than being an effective team member. There's all kinds of reasons. And and look, the primary way that your interest in in creating a team and being part of your team is when you don't delegate that work. And and it's work that reasonably belongs to them. And again, we we heard your phrases. You don't want to overburden your teammates. You want to help. You don't want to be thought of as too demanding. You don't want to stress them out. You don't want to be a, to appear above them. But look, you're still the boss. Those ideas are, are wrong in the abstract because your folks are always going to see you as a boss first. It's just the nature of power in organizations today. Look, you can reduce the gap but you, between you and them, but you can't eliminate it. And if you try to eliminate it by not doing your job as a manager, you end up everyone, make, making everyone less effective, you and them. And, and look, part of your job is delegating work appropriately. Yeah. If you're a high S boss, whatever you're delegating right now is insufficient, right? You're letting your care for your directs actually hurt them. Because you're not, not only doing all of your work because you're too busy doing theirs for them. And they're not doing work that not only are they paid for, but that they need to do to feel fulfilled and develop themselves, right? Yeah. It's a good intention, and it turns out poorly because of the nature of work. We don't do our directs any favors by keeping work from them that is legitimately theirs. You know, we stay away from, pretty assiduously, any comparison between directs and kids. But whenever I think of lack of delegation, I'm reminded of the Montessori School slogan, which is the parent that continues to tie the child's shoe after the child can do it is then only in the way, right? Yeah. We did a bunch of, of cast on, on delegation, right? And so folks should go back and, and listen to those. But here now, are, are there some things high S managers can do around this delegation? Some simple guidance we can give them now? Yeah. Uh, look, for the, figure out what work you're doing that they can do now. And then, and, and, and think of it this way. I think if if you put your natural tendency to protect your folks in a little bit of neutral, you won't argue with this next statement. If you figure out what work they can do that you're doing now, 
right? It may be work that they should be doing, but there's probably some work that you should do that you could delegate to them and grow them and develop them and really show them that you care about them. If you figure out some work they can do and then show them you really do respect them by trusting them with work that is theirs and frankly, yours, Right. I don't think any high S or high C or high D or high I manager would argue with that. Right. right. And, and we've said before that we believe that that under delegation is a is an epidemic in large organizations all over the world. And, yeah, there, there are some casts. Look, some of the recommendations we have is, look, when you choose what to delegate, we generally recommend you stay away from your core responsibilities. Then once you've chosen what to delegate, if you're trying to choose, choose delegations to direct based on what they want, what they need, or what they're good at. There's a big plus for high S's. Our recommendation about delegation is not, don't just get of what, get rid of what you don't like. Focus on who's going to get it. And high S's, your knowledge of your team will help you see who, who would like to do this, who, who, who needs to do this for their own development and would appreciate the chance to develop it under my watchful eye. Um, who's good at something or who really wants a particular something because it's politically valuable, uh, because it'll help them grow and develop in the right direction for their career. That's the beauty of our recommendation. Yeah, yeah, you can't delegate your core responsibilities. And frankly, we don't think you have to worry about that. We think you'll, um, you know, most managers do tend to hold on to those things. But first of all, you've got to get out of the stuff that they're doing. And then secondly, start delegating the stuff that is right for them rather than using some factor that we're trying to get work off of your desk. We're not trying to get work off of your desk so much as we're trying to get work onto their desks and we want it to be the right work. You know, rather than holding back work from them, we want you to show them you're not like other bosses. Sit down with them. Ask them what they want to help you with. And in our experience, they'll tell you. Directs are overwhelmingly likely to say yes when you say, hey, I need your help. I mean, the relationship that you've built, don't get us wrong, the relationship you built is a huge plus. We love it. We want more of those relationships than what we see from high D bosses who say, hey, you know, it's a case of mind over matter. I don't mind and you don't matter. We want you to leverage that relationship now by sitting down with them and saying, hey, what is it you want to do? And then and start asking them. And, and look, they'll tell you when they're overburdened. They will, right? Yeah. And, and high S's are probably the least likely to to violate this this one caveat we have, which is go slowly, right? High S's are thinking about their folks and unlikely to overwhelm folks. But regardless, we've, we've got to state it. Don't delegate everything all at once. Our delegation model is really easy to deliver, super simple. It takes literally five minutes to do it very well. But if you're going to take care of your directs, you can't overload them. One thing at a time. Let them build that capability they need and then add more over time. Let me walk through the delegation model um, real quickly. It's the only one we call a script um, because it is so brief and and so direct. It's so directive, so prescriptive. And it goes like this. I'm going to walk through it and then I'll analyze it. It sounds like this if I were delegated to Mike. I would say, Mike, I need your help. Um, you're clearly wanting to become a manager and there's some things you have to do in order to become an effective manager. One of them is running a meeting. Um, will you uh, take responsibility for running my weekly staff meeting? And then I would go on to say, let, let me explain what's involved. Every week, you're going to have to put out the agenda. You're going to have to facilitate the meeting, run in the agenda. You're going to have to uh, man the parking lot. You're going to be responsible for notes on a week-to-week basis. 
And when I talk about running the meeting, I'm talking about facilitating the timing and the content. Um, you're going to be able to deliver less on the content side because you're going to be worried about the process of the meeting. Um, but you're going to be the one that's going to have to ask people to stop talking and to tie up each each agenda item with, um, you know, my favorite thing, which is, okay, who's, who's agreeing to do what by when? And again, put out the notes at the end of the, at the end of the experience. Uh, um, how do you feel about that? Now, okay, there's a couple more things where we say, let's talk about reporting, let's talk about quality standards, and then at the final question you ask is, um, okay, what do you need from me? Now, what's important about that model, folks, uh, and again, we're, we're, we're just glossing over it here, so please, please, please don't think that that is a delegation model in incredible detail. It's not, and for UISs, I'm sure you'll know that because that was way too fast, but the key point is I asked Mike, would he take over take over my meeting, running my meeting, before I gave him all the details. And the reason is because 80% of the time, directs say, sure, I'll do it. And when they say sure, they become a much better listener when they verbally agreed to something, to commit something, much better listener, and they listen for what they're responsible for when you go over the details. If you describe details first... They're looking for difficulties, problems, challenges, reasons to say no. And so they tend to say no if you give details first. And this is true even if you're a high C manager, folks. So so I, I, we can't go through the entire thing. That would be another 20 minutes added on or 30 minutes added on to this cast. We just wanted you to just sort of at a high level let you know how easy it is to delegate. It takes two minutes. Right. So our second recommendation is high S managers, you've got to stop overprotecting your for folks and don't accept reverse delegations. Right? And we're going we're right. to cover our favorite manager letter during yeah. this section. Look, this was added because when I started thinking about highest managers and executives I'd coached, this is the question we always get back. We don't get it back from high D managers. We get it back from high S's and, and to some degree high C's as well. Once you start delegating, you fall into one of the oldest traps in the book. You feel good, you're going to delegate, but there's also a part of you that's going to feel a bit guilty, and it's okay to feel a little bit guilty. It really is. You'll have practice, probably, all right? You'll know the model, the script, the delegation model. You'll be able to get through it. It's going to be a little bit stressful, but you're going to make it through. And the delegation is over now, and your deck will say to you, yes, I'll do it, but what would be really great is if you could get me those numbers. Or will you go ahead and talk to your peer about helping me with the data gathering? Or would you be willing to do at least at least this part of it for me for just this first time because it's so new to me? And the mistake you'll make is that you'll say yes, which is in a way completing the operatic duo, the duet that makes up the dreaded reverse delegation, which is your directs giving work back to you. They're dealing with a brand new obligation. You understand that they have a new obligation. You're probably feeling guilty. It's a little bit bigger than what they can handle. But of course, that's how you make people more effective is you give them a little bit more to handle and they learn how to handle it. And now they can handle more. Right. right. But we understand this, right? I mean, you know, you're already stressed, you're vulnerable and you get asked for help. Right? Of course you want to help. Right. I mean, who wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, as a high S, that's what a good caring boss would do. And the problem is there is a time to help and there's a time not to help. And this is a time not to help right after you delegate is not the time to help by taking back part of the work you just assigned to your direct. Now, most high C managers will say, oh, it's just a bridge to them doing all of it. 
and we're not going to argue with you. That is one way to look at it, no question. We recommend you see it differently, and we you see it as your directs delaying their own development and slowing down a process that you've already started and decided upon. If you've thought a bit about who should be doing what, and you haven't delegated randomly and wildly, right? There's no reason to doubt yourself now simply because your direct has more work than they know what to do with. I mean, look, to be honest, most high-S managers have more work than they know what to do with. Most executives have more work than they know what to do with. A little bit more is, is probably after the brief shock of I have more work to do it is not going to be a bad thing. In fact, it will be a good thing in terms of driving out things that don't need to get done. So don't, again, step back to help when you've already determined that over time, they can do it themselves. Okay. Well, what about the high S manager that says, okay, Mark, I, I understand that. But what I'm really doing here is guarding against a quality drop off. When they do it, it's going to be of less quality than when I do it. Right. And that's important. Quality yeah. is important to me. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you there. You're right. Okay. And I, I believe that's why high C managers don't delegate as much. And it's why high D managers do it, but it's not don't delegate as much as they could. But it's not because high D managers fear a quality thing. They just can do it now, and they believe whatever they do is better than whatever anybody else does, right? right? But look, the, the quality argument is true. It's accurate. Quality is going to decrease slightly uh, when you delegate because you're going to be delegating something that you're, you've been doing to somebody who has less capability than you. Generally speaking, no offense to your directs, but capabilities generally go up as you move up in an organization, and they're going to be new at it, right? But the problem with that argument, though, is it's, it's short-sighted, right? Based on that narrow analysis, well, you know, the only person who can do it is the person who's best at it, nobody would ever be asked to do anything that someone else can do better than them, which means that anyone good at any one job would become indispensable fairly quickly. And if you do the productivity math on that, an organization fails very, very fast. Further, when you yourself first started doing whatever it is you're going to delegate, you yourself did it with a lot less quality than you do it now. Sure, yeah. Right? You were trusted, either by yourself or by somebody else, and the organization benefited. And now it's your turn to pass that favor along, right? Also, the quality drop that everybody talks about, totally real, is also totally short-term, right? Your directs will learn how to do what they need to do, and they'll do it as well as you have been doing it. The transients, I don't know, it's two weeks, two months, whatever, of that quality drop is more than made up for in the cost difference, the managerial economics 101, right? The cost difference of them doing it, the time you get back to do other things and the value of that time to the organization, again, managerial economics 101. And, and here's the thing. And those benefits that come out of it, the short-term quality drop is short-term. The benefits are forever. You're no longer doing it. You have your new time to, freed up to do other stuff forever into the future, right? Yeah. So after, after they get as good as you, now there are some managers who say that my people will never be as good as me at anything. Well... I've said that a long. I said that for a long time in my life, and I now have ample evidence to prove that's just not so. Um, and of course, that's not. That's really not the answer. The answer is even if they do it one, two, three, four, five percent less effectively than you, that's still a better choice for the organization. Right. Well, look, I'm not a high S, but I am a high C, and 
I have the same problem in terms of my natural tendencies around delegation that high S managers do. And one of the challenges I have is remembering not to have to take on this reverse delegation. <laughs> How do I do yeah. that? <laughs> yeah, look, and we have a little treat here for you. For, to help everybody remember not to accept reverse delegations, it is your favorite letter in the, in the English alphabet, the letter C. If you want to remind yourself of its value, hold up your left hand in front of your face right now. Uh, don't do it if you're driving, I guess, but you can pretend. Make a half circle with your thumb and forefinger of your left hand. And there it is. There's the letter C, right? Now turn your hand away from you, keeping the letter C formed so that your thumb and fingers are pointing away from you toward another person if you were having a conversation. That is the letter C pointing at one of your directs. And whenever they come to you and say, I have a problem, you, and you can do this mentally or you can actually do it physically, it's your call, you hold up your hand and you say, yes, you have a problem, okay? If you really want to drive home the point, run your index finger of your right hand around that semicircle when you do this and end up with your right index finger pointing your direct saying, yes, you have a problem. It's, it's a bit of a chuckle. And the point is, if your directs come to you and say, I have a problem, and you say, okay, and you take over the problem, you're accepting a reverse delegation. You're going to do their work for them. And when you do your direct work for them, you send a message that I will solve your problem for you. You reward them bringing their work to you. And, and yes, there are cases where you want to know about their problems, but you don't want to solve their problems for them because after a while, they'll bring, you're rewarding the bringing of problems to you. You're going to create people who can't solve problems in the abstract, because you're the one always solving problems. You think of it as I'm trying to take care of them. What actually happens is you're stunting their growth. You're trading short-term taking care of them for long-term professional development because you're saying, if you have a problem, then I can solve your problem. It's okay. Look, if they have a problem, you have a problem too. But that if you both have a problem, why not have them do it? Because they're the one that needs to learn it. If it's easy for you to do, and it's a little bit hard for them, they're never going to learn how to do it unless they do it a few times. Good judgment comes from experience, and experience comes from bad judgment. So hold that C up, run your index finger around it, and say, oh, you've got a problem? Yeah, you've got a problem. I don't necessarily have a problem. Sounds kind of appalling. It's, it's a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it is. It is. Look, we're we're kidding a little bit here, but the point is, we want we want you to give a we want want you to have a physical reminder of the concept of no. When your directs have a problem, your directs have a problem. That doesn't mean it's your problem to solve. It's your directs' problem to solve. I mean, think about it. When when you delegate, it's theirs. Think of it this way, folks. Here's the acid test that everybody forgets as a boss. You'd no more expect your boss to do your work than you should accept work from your directs, right? I mean, yeah, everybody says, point. when we ask audiences, Mike, remember at conferences, we ask, hey, how many of you would be okay if your boss came to you with a fair and legitimate delegation? Every person raises their yep, hand. Everybody. But then somehow, like, oh, well, my people are busy. I don't want to ask them to do too much. I'm like, wow, what is it, this idea that somehow we're, as managers, we're so capable and our directs are not? Right, it, right. You know, it's just not, it's, it's not appropriate. So look, we just suggest that when your directs ask for help or when they suggest, hey, why don't you help me with this part of it? Remember that letter C, when they ask for help, say no. It's going to worry you, particularly a highest manager, for the first 50 times you do it. Then you'll realize that the only thing that bad, only thing bad that happened when you did it was your worry of it. 
and and you sense there are enormous benefits and all your all all that's bad is the worry. Hopefully, you'll continue doing it. Good. Now, high S managers do something else. They tend to wait, right? They not only overprotect their directs, but they also frequently delay making important decisions, right? Because they want to make sure everything's right. They want to understand the rationale. They want to prepare everyone for the change mm-hmm. that com- that's coming because they don't like change. They don't like the, the effects, the disruption on the team. Right. Don't want to upset your team. You worry about the response. And so you delay and delay. Right. So our recommendation for highest managers is stop waiting. And then remember the one-third, two-thirds rule, which we'll cover. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, the one-third, two-third rule applies to everybody. It's sure. just particularly valuable as a, as, a tr- as a development device for highest managers who like to wait. Here's an important point, I think, that highest managers forget a little bit more quickly than other managers, even though inherently they know it better than everybody else. They confuse their relationship with their role in the sense that Here's the point. Not all of your directs are like you. Generally speaking, about half of them would say, no, we'd rather not wait to hear every detail of the newest stuff. We'd rather not you take the time to put together a presentation for us, having worked out all the details and being able to address every single one of our questions. We'd rather have it a little bit rough and a little bit piecemeal just so we get some advanced warning. You know, give us a hundred word warning order rather than a full manual on the thing. We'd rather know a little bit now rather than everything later because not everyone is a high S, Right. right? Some folks are okay with things being messy and having to be worked out later. Now, now look, to be fair, not everybody is, is a high D, like a high D manager, who just throws things out there and lets his team fend fin for themselves, like throwing meat to a pack of rabid dogs. Right? Right. So look, when you think you're doing your team a favor by getting things right and taking a little more time, and putting everything neatly together and putting everything fully briefed and fully backgrounded, you're actually probably frustrating half of your team. Rumors are going to get out if what you're going to be sharing with them is an organizational change. They're going to hear that other people know and that they don't, and they're going to know that you're the one delaying it, right? So so our recommendation is stop delaying. Okay, that you need to be willing to give more quick information, more uh, immediate information to your team so that they can process it on their own time rather than uh, waiting until you process it for them because not everybody thinks the way you do. But now look, we know it's unlikely you're going to tell your team everything you learn right away. So we want to share with you an old organizational planning rule, which is the one-third, two-thirds rule. And here it is. The one-third, two-thirds planning rule says this. From the time you hear of a change or the time you hear of work or responsibility or a deliverable that affects your organization, you only get one-third, you at your level, only get one-third of the time between then and the deadline to do your work and communicate it to your organization. This is true no matter how many levels your organization has, and it is true for every level of your organization. So give, give me a couple examples. Walk, walk me through that, if you would. Yeah, this is confusing for people, right? But, but once you hear it, I think you'll understand it. Suppose it's the 1st of March, and you're a frontline supervisor. You know, you have pe- individual contributors working for you. You've just been told that you owe a productivity report to the engineering department by the end of March, March 30th, right? 30 days from now. The one-third, two-thirds planning rule means that you can hold on to this information from your team for about 10 days, 
You get to do whatever work you need to do to analyze it, prepare it, gather data for it, plan for it. And then, of course, obviously communicate it to your team if they're responsible for it. Okay. And by the way, this relates to the the rule that managers are never communicated to. They're always communicated through. Right. You get one third of the time from the first to 30th. You get about 10 days. And then your team, the next level down, which in this case happens to be the bottom level, they get the remaining 20 days to do their work and to meet the deadline. Okay, that, that's pretty clear. But what if I'm a, um, a VP and I've got like maybe three layers of employees beneath me? How, how, does it, how does it work then? Okay, let me see. Okay, so you've got, again, we're going to do the 30 days yeah, thing? You, yeah, yeah. Do, okay, so again, we'll just use that productivity report again, right? So you've got, a, you've, got a, you've got 30 days in your organization, right? And you have, you have, we have three layers of employees. So that would be like a director, a manager, and then those individual contributors, right? Right. Beneath the VP. Okay, so now look, you've just heard, it's the first of March, so you get one third of the time available. You get until the tenth. On the tenth, at the latest, you're obligated by the one third, two thirds planning rule of thumb to communicate the deliverable to the managers who report to you. Okay. Now, for those of you who are thinking right now, wait, 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 I should have contru- I should have delivered it on day one. No, hold off a second. Okay. Now, look, it is assumed you'll communicate that with them as soon as whatever you work you need to do is done. You don't take the ten days just to take it. Right. If it's just an email to be sent with some line along the lines of, quote, this is what this means for us in it, then do that as soon as you can and don't take the 10 days you're allotted. But suppose in this situation, the reporting is unclear. The person in the organization that's going to receive it has not been clear about what the form it's going to take and what the reason for it is, what the risks are, and so on. So you've got to go meet with the engineering people and talk to them and say, you know, what are my guys walking into here? I'm not going to have them spend time doing reporting when, in fact, they could be doing work if, in fact, I don't know the value of the report. And maybe we can figure out a way for it to be easier for my folks and more valuable to you. How many times at a senior meeting, oh, we need to report on that. And then somebody who really doesn't know what they're talking about comes up with the form of the report. And then somebody gets the report and goes, this isn't helpful, right? And the people who are preparing the report says, this won't be helpful, but they do it anyway because their boss told them to. Okay. But in this situation, you have directors beneath you. You, you go ahead and take the 10 days to do this work, to, to figure out what the other organization really needs. And you tell them on the 10th, Okay. They now have 20 days using the rule, right? So think about it. Now, they're a manager too, and they have 20 days. It's now March 10th, and they have until March 30th. Means That means that they only get about seven days for, for whatever work they have to do, leaving their managers and individual contributors with about 13. And, and we're going to say 14 or about, about two weeks just to, to, to make the math easy. Now, that means the managers are going to have 14 days, only 14, Right? And we're going to make it easy, and we're going to say they take five of those days, just to, again, to make the math work, roughly one-third of what's left, and that leaves 10 days for the individual contributors to do their work before the deadline. Yes, if the, if the organization is less vertical, things get to the bottom faster, but hopefully everybody already knew that, right? Um, there's friction in organizations, and this is an example of it, time, time being taken by each level. Right. But but there are good reasons for that. There may be more work that managers and directors need to do and there are special circumstances that have to be ironed out and all kinds of things. Right. The point of this is the one third planning rule exists to minimize delays at higher levels in getting work to the people that will actually action the work. Again, if it only it is only forwarding along an email. Right. Please get in your reviews because it's past the deadline. That's pretty straightforward. And here's the thing that stuns people. Some of you are thinking, geez, I, I don't need that much time. I get stuff and I turn it right around. 
Well, that's not what we see happen in organizations. Virtually every study that looks at the flow of work in organizations shows that management eats up all the time, leaving very little time, and then unfortunately a real mess, for those that are often doing the work. It's not that the top of the organization intends to ambush those at the other end of the company. They're stunned at how long it takes to get to the individual contributors. It's those mid-level managers using up too much of the time and causing those beneath them to have to rush. Yeah, and if you're and if you're a, a brand new manager, this this rule may be actually shocking to you. You just may not absolutely believe that that organizations are that slow. Trust me, they are. <laughs> they are. They are. And, and the point of this is, folks, we're suggesting in all of our years. We believe this will speed things up enormously because usually what happens is senior people take half the time and then the next person takes half the time or three quarters of the time. And they think that they're adding value when in fact they're slowing things down, right? And so in the same way that we know high S's tend to slow things down, we're suggesting the one-third, two-third rule to increase the chances that your people will have plenty of time to deal with their stuff and their time rather than you taking it all up to prepare it and, and, and massage it and communicate it and so on. And, and, and to take it to the extreme, let me, let me be clear about how important this is. This rule applies even to those tasks that you're given five hours for. Whatever the work, figure out how much time until the deadline and never take more than one third of it. So if it's eight in the morning and you've been told by HR, oh my God, we need, a, we need a list of people who are ready for promotion. We're having a promotion board next week. We need a list of people who are ready for promotion by the end of the day. Sorry, sorry we didn't get it to you, right? And, and so now you have, um, let's say, nine hours between eight and five. You can only not communicate that or massage it or work on it until 11 in the morning. That doesn't mean one third of the time from the time that you decide to start working on it. it means yeah, from the exactly. time you yeah. know about it, right? Yeah, exactly. Which means, by the way, that you need to be on top of deliverables that are coming into you every day. And the, the purpose of this one-third planning rule, it applies to every manager everywhere. But for high-S high managers, this is going to keep you from delaying too much and actually, because of your delay, end up hurting your team when, in fact, we know you're trying to help them. But we don't want you to over-plan or over-prepare and, and then, because of that, have them rush because you think you're taking care of them when, in fact, Many of them would rather know sooner rather than later. Good. That was good. I, I, th- I think these are some really good recommendations for highest managers. And if they, if they do these things, they're going to be in much better shape. Their teams will be in much better shape. Their teams are going to be in much better shape. And they, their team won't feel they love them any less. Their team won't feel they, they care about them any less, right? They'll actually feel more cared for by doing these simple things. If you're a high S, your knowledge of and concern for your team are critical to your success and we don't recommend you change that at all. But at the same time, your strength of knowing them and caring for them is likely over protecting them. They're capable of more, but they may not necessarily tell you that unless you ask. Remember this. This is one of the most important things I've ever learned in work life. Don't forget, happy employees are not more productive. Productive employees are happier. Ask for more from your team And ask for it more quickly than your first inclination. And you'll get better results with little to no compromise to your team. And actually, because they become more productive, you can actually make them even happier than you already have. So key key recommendations, stop overprotecting and be willing to delegate. Stop that overprotecting and don't accept their reverse delegation. Remember that letter C and deliver the information you have to them, the tasks you have to them faster by remembering the one-third, two-thirds planning rule. Awesome. Hey, thanks, my friend. Enjoyed it. My pleasure, partner.
All right, we'll see you later. Thanks, everyone. That's it. Hey, if you haven't joined us on the discussion forums lately, please do so. You'll find it at www.manager-tools.com forward slash forums. Hope to see you there. So long, folks.